The reading today is taken from Numbers chapter 13. It can be found in the Church Bible at page 149, starting at verse 16. Moses called to himself a representative from each tribe. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who will live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there, tree, are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season of the fir, for the first ripe grapes. We move on to verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses, Moses this account. We went into the land to which he sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dom. Good morning. I'm Sam, and it is great to be with you. Great to see you this morning. What does your name mean? How do you choose a name? Do we grow into our names, or do they, in some mysterious way, define us? We're in a series looking at some of the Old Testament greats. As we look at these characters, some of the big names, the biggest names in the Bible, I thought it'd be interesting to see how they rank in popularity today. So far, we've looked at Gideon, Samson, Solomon, and Isaac. Now, which, if any of those four, do you think made it into Bounty.com's top 100 boys' names last year. Gideon? No. Samson? No. Solomon? No. Isaac? Yes, very good. Not only the top 50, into the top 25. Isaac came in at 24th. The only other two Old Testament names I saw that were ranked higher were Jacob at 19th and Noah, which took the number one spot, the most popular name for boys in 2022. This morning we're looking at Caleb. Now, how popular was Caleb last year? Did that make it in to the top 100? 
Yes, it did. You'll be pleased to hear. Caleb was there in 63rd place, behind Reuben, Elijah, Ethan, Joshua, Adam, Daniel, and Ezra, and just before Benjamin. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we look at the example of your servant Caleb this morning, may we learn together, may we grow in Christ-likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as we zoom in on Caleb, we're going to learn from three facets of his story, beginning with this, his defining moment. Point number one, Caleb's defining moment. We've heard it read. We join Moses in the desert of Paran. Now, at this point in the story of God's people and his salvation of them, the first half is complete. Exodus, check. God has brought his people out from the oppression they were facing as slaves in Egypt. And God is poised, he's ready to complete the job and bring his people into the land he promised to Abraham years ago. And now Abraham's descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky, are there on the edge of the promised land. Act one complete. We're asked to return to our seats for part two. The interval, however, hasn't all been picnics and ice cream by the sea. It's been a rocky road for Moses and the Israelites, full of grumbling, discontentment, murmurings of mutiny. And as we read, that doesn't change here. And Caleb's defining moment comes in the midst of a generation-defining moment for God's pilgrim people. They had the faith to leave Egypt but do they have the faith to enter the land? So the Lord asks Moses to send out these 12 spies to, to do a recce, to go on a mission to check out the land. The 12 are chosen, these tribal leaders, the best of the best, the creme de la creme. They are sent, they go 40 days, they follow the route they've been told, they come back and they bring back a report, a good report a great report about the land and the fruit, its abundant fruit. Supposedly the, the grapes that they find in Cluster Valley are so large they have to be held between two people on a pole. They're not the kind of grapes we find in Sainsbury's. However, the report they bring about the people is terrible. The report takes a sudden turn and perhaps in the moment Caleb does a double take. We don't know, but did he see it coming? We're not sure. Presumably, they all went on this mission together. They saw the same things. And he thought they were of one mind. Presumably, they all thought they were of one mind. It hadn't occurred to Caleb that the other tribal leaders would even consider not trusting the Lord for a moment. Blindsided, perhaps, by the turn of events, if he causes to consider his options, it's just for a split second. Caleb silences the people and voices his counter-conviction. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And the other 11 respond with their exaggerated stories of the land and its obstacles. The people are stronger. The land itself devours those who live in it. Its inhabitants are huge. There's no mention of the Lord, his faithfulness, his power. 
We, they say to Moses, we went into the land which you, Moses, sent us. The Lord is left out of their analysis. And the story continues. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who'd explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Caleb sticks to his guns, his original convictions. He finds a friend, an ally in Joshua. And what do they get for their impassioned plea? Talk of being lynched, executed on the spot without a trial. So seditious did their faith-filled perspective appear. In the heat of the Israelites' lack of faith, Caleb steps forward. He speaks up and has his defining moment. Like Caleb, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Lutheran theologian and pastor and anti-Nazi dissident, could have towed the line. As the political situation in his beloved country went from bad to worse, he could have kept his head down. He could have gone with the flow, blended in with the crowd. Instead, he was appalled at the direction his nation and worse still, his church was going and decided to break ranks, to speak out and go a different way. He formed the Confessing Church and sought to resist the power of the Nazi regime. His is a powerful story, one of trust in the Lord in the face of, humanly speaking, great power and impossible odds. Like Caleb, we admire Bonhoeffer for his boldness, his courage, bravery, the strength of his convictions. If it had been us, if it had been you or me in Caleb's shoes representing Judah on that expedition and reporting back, would we have had the faith, the courage, the conviction to break ranks? Have you ever been in that sort of situation where the group that you've been in has voiced a different perspective, a different conviction, and you have perhaps respectfully spoken out for what you believe. It might have been a social situation or at work, at church or at home. It's hard to break ranks. So much easier to swallow our convictions for fear of hurting others or being ostracized. And that's what happens to Caleb. He breaks ranks, speaks out, and his peers talk of stoning him. Thankfully, we have a greater Caleb, Jesus, who broke ranks on our behalf. He has explored the promised land fully. And when encouraged to toe the line, 
to cower into submission. He stuck to his convictions, spoke out and stuck to the plan. He faced the giants, sin and death, so that we might enter the promised land, eternal life with him in the new creation. So that's the first thing, Caleb's defining moment. The second thing we see is his secret, Caleb's secret. What is it? A different spirit. What separates the trusting two from the terrified ten? What distinguishes Caleb and Joshua from Shamua, Shaphat and the gang? A different spirit. In the Lord's words, my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. What an endorsement. In the midst of an entire generation who have forsaken the Lord, Caleb receives his full, unadulterated pleasure. The twelve sent into the land saw the same things. They saw the same abundant fruit and produce. They saw the same giant people. But where the others saw barriers, Caleb saw opportunities to take God at his word. Where the rest saw big no-entry signs, Caleb saw the potential to trust the Lord. Where the others saw through human eyes, Caleb had the eyes of a different spirit. It wasn't a fair-weather spirit, and I'll follow the Lord when it suits me spirit, or I'll do what he asks when I can see how it'll all work out spirit. It was a whole-hearted spirit. Caleb's name itself means faithful, wholehearted, bold, brave. Who do you think of as wholehearted? If you've been enjoying any of the recent sports, then your headlines or BBC Sport app will have been full of wholehearted competitors. Perhaps those in yesterday's Wimbledon final, Von Drusseva and Jabeur. Maybe you're looking forward to this afternoon's competition, Djokovic and Alcaraz. When they're on court, we see them giving it everything. And clearly they're just as wholehearted off the court in order to have the skill, the strength, the tenacity to compete so fiercely when the moment comes. Or if you're looking forward to the fourth Ashes test starting on Wednesday, you might admire the wholeheartedness of the England team fighting to keep the competition alive. Ben Stokes with his whopping 155 in the second test. Or Harry Brooks scoring 75 last Sunday to win the third test, finally, for England. But better examples yet are our mission partners, wholehearted for the Lord in this country and across the globe. Men, women, families, following the Lord with everything. Our friends at London City Mission, for example, Philip Thang in Myanmar, Lucy McRae in Thailand, Yelena Velotievich in Montenegro, doing great things for the Lord. And I'm thrilled that we have the Parker family, some of our mission partners here with us this morning. We'll be hearing from them shortly. Jesus was filled with this different spirit, this Caleb spirit at his baptism. And he gives this spirit to all who love him and ask him. We have this different spirit. We call it the Holy Spirit. So when we look around and we're tempted to find ourselves with a terrified ten, 
we can step up and stand with the trusting too. When we consider the Lord's calling on our life, the purposes that he's asking us to step into, we can stand with Caleb and say, yes, we can certainly do it, rather than Shamua and his, no, we can't. The Lord is gracious. He knows our capacity, our abilities. He's given them to us. He knows what we can achieve for him, with him, with his help. Are we willing to explore that, to lean into that, to pursue that? Caleb had a different spirit and he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And this morning we're invited to do the same. So thirdly, finally, point three, Caleb's reward. We see that Caleb has a good reputation and he's given an inheritance in the land. His good reputation begins with the Lord's endorsement, as we've heard, and it's echoed through the pages of scripture. Because he follows the Lord wholeheartedly, he's spared the fate of the rest of his generation and given the privilege of entering the land and receiving an inheritance where his feet have been. Caleb's 40 when they explore the land, and with Joshua, he's the only person 40 years later to enter the land. During those 40 years, the rest of the generation pass away. And consistently, over those 40 years and after, Caleb is held up to be wholehearted. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses rehearses the story of the wilderness generation. And Caleb is said again to be wholehearted. Then in the book of Joshua, once Joshua's led the people into the land, Caleb approaches his old friend and says, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. I followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to him ever since because he followed the Lord of the God of Israel wholeheartedly. It's there almost every time he is mentioned. Caleb the wholehearted. If he had a tombstone, it might read, here lies Caleb the wholehearted, who had a different spirit and followed the Lord with all his heart. But he doesn't need a tombstone because his reputation is immortalized for us in scripture. 3,000 years later, we're still talking about him, learning from his example. That's his reward, a good reputation and an inheritance in the land. Whoever wins Wimbledon this afternoon, do you know how much they'll win? Do you know how much is at stake? It's £2,350,000, along with, I don't know, getting to hold the trophy and having your name written somewhere. Will they be remembered in five, 10, 50 years' time? I dare say if Djokovic wins an eighth, he'll be remembered for a while. But a hundred, a thousand years later, 
unlikely. But being known for being wholehearted in our generation, being known by others, perhaps remembered when we're gone, but most importantly, being seen by the Lord to love him, to follow him with our whole hearts. That's an incredible thing. To hear his affirmation, here's my servant Andrew, my servant Emma, my servant Rupert. They have a different spirit, they have my spirit and they follow me with all their heart. In Jesus, we have that different spirit. We're enabled to walk wholeheartedly with the Lord day by day. And there's an inheritance in store for us in the new creation if we'll follow him with all our hearts. So Caleb the wholehearted, he was ready for his defining moment when it came. His secret was a, a different spirit that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly and he received a good name and an inheritance in the land. May that be true of us as well. Let's pray.